Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. Maybe you've been reading and some questions have come up or things that you're unsure about or or some thoughts you have. We'd love to talk with you and hopefully answer those questions for you. And um, this is also a show where you can call in with your prayer requests. So if there's something going in your life that you'd like to talk about or you'd like to receive prayer for, that's why we're here today. We'd love to hear from you and lift those requests and needs up to the Lord, hearing community with all the people listening on the air so we can all agree and say amen. So give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720 336 0897 that's 7203360897 for the text line. We want to welcome those of you who are tuning in here in Colorado and southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Hope you're staying warm and safe on the road today for those of you who are driving. Got a big snowstorm today here in Colorado going for the next couple days supposed to be a big one. But we also want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, and also those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. We're so glad to see how God is expanding the listenership of this show, and um, we are just praying that God uses it in great ways to answer your questions, to pray for you, and hopefully you know, to get the word out uh, and to get great answers to a lot of the questions that people have when it comes to the Bible and faith and what it looks like to walk with God for more and more people to hear. So we're excited about that. Just a reminder that those of you on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing this program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind, but we would love to hear from you. We'd still love to have you call in, and we would love to be able to pray for you. And you guys actually have a unique opportunity where you get to call in, and then the next week you get to tune in, you get to hear your question and everything on the radio. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. We also want to give a big hello to everyone who tunes in online. We know there's an increasing number of you who listen through our mobile app, which you, anyone can get. It's free on all the app stores. So if you have an Android device, or you have an Apple device, you go to your respective app store on your phone or on your tablet and you can just download the Grace FM app for free and then you can use that to listen to this show and all the other great programs here on Grace FM anywhere you are in the world and we we sometimes look at that map you know of who's tuning in really exciting to see how so many people outside of our broadcast range are able to tune in through the through the app and through the internet you can also use your browser and just go to gracefm.com and you can listen live right there in your browser on your laptop or desktop computer. And so we're so glad to see many people taking advantage of that. And we just want to greet those of you who are tuning in that way. 
Welcome to the program. Again, call us with your questions about the Bible, your prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. A few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church meets in downtown Longmont, uh, really right in the heart of the city. 700 Longs Peak Avenue is our address. We're right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. And we are right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is our city park here in Longmont. We're just directly to the south of the downtown park and ride on Kaufman Street. And we're just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. Again, the address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue. You can also just get directions and look us up online, as well as find out about our staff and about some of the ministries we have here uh, by going to our website at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. So if you're in the Longmont area or you have friends or family members who are in this area, we would love to have you worship with us. We'd love to welcome you into our community and what God is doing here at Whitefields. So definitely check us out online. You can listen to some of our sermons and messages on there at the address, again, whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear our sermons here on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. So maybe that's the time that a lot of you are picking up kids from school or you're out and about 2.30 p.m. You can hear our sermons on the radio here on Grace FM, and you can also hear us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on Grace FM. So if for some reason you're not able to be in church at that time, you can tune into Grace FM and you can hear our messages there on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. as well. So let's go ahead and go to our first caller, Rudy in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Rudy. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. How's it going? Great. Good. I have a prayer request today just for the storm that's coming in. And, um, you know, as, as Coloradans or Denverites, we know how to get through it. But I just pray for everybody. Be safe. Yeah, let's do that. Oh. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, Rudy's request, Lord, and, and my request, too, that you would watch over people here in the Front Range area and in Colorado who are driving around right now and who are going to be driving around over the next few days. Lord, we pray that people would be safe, that you would protect them. You protect cars from sliding. You protect people that they would be able to stop in time when they need to. And Lord, that um, you would help the emergency responders who are going to be really busy over the next few yeah. days. And we pray that you would protect them as they're helping people. We pray that you give them wisdom to know how to treat people who are hurt. And Lord, we pray that you would watch over people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Be safe, y'all. God bless Rudy. Bye-bye. Listen to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls, your prayer requests, your questions about the Bible. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Victoria in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor. Hi, how are you? Doing great. What's up? So I was asking, um, I wanted to ask for a prayer over my finances. I have not been the best steward over my finances, and I really want some prayer to relinquish my own control over them and instead let God take control. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Victoria's desire to honor you with her finances and really to view herself as a steward of not only your grace in general in her life, but specifically her financial resources, Lord. And really, that's, that's the truth, that you've given us these things, 
and we need to honor you with how we use them. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help Victoria to feel a sense of your love and grace over how she might have used these things in the past in ways that she now regrets. But Lord, I pray that moving forward, she would see herself as a steward of these, this money and she would use it in the way that, um, that honors you and in a way that makes a kingdom impact, Lord, that she would invest that money and use it in ways that make eternal dividends as well as um, not being in debt now so that she's free to do a lot of other things that are really good and according to your will. So, Lord, help her to have the strength uh, to face temptation when those temptations come financially. And, Lord, I pray that you give her wisdom with how to use her money in a way that honors you and pleases you and furthers your mission. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. God bless you. Thanks. Right, bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, uh, things going on in your life, and we would love to answer those questions for you. We'd love to pray for your prayer requests as well. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Michelle in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? Doing great. Good. I just have a couple of, actually, one main question. In the book of Revelation, when... Um, he's speaking of all the churches, churches in, um, before you get to chapter 3, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Is that current-day churches during the end times, or is that past churches? Yeah, there's like a couple main ways of looking at this. And um, I'll tell you what, first of all, I think that whenever we, we read the Bible, you know, our, our number, there can be different layers of interpretation, right? There can be different layers of significance and meaning in any given uh-huh. passage. We see that with Jesus, that he'll use the Old Testament in a way that um, shows that there's another layer of meaning below the text many times. So, for example, he'll take a prophecy from one of the prophetic books, which had a direct application at the time it was spoken, right? So a historical interpretation. And he'll say, okay, well, that that is true. You know, that is what it meant then in that setting. But here's maybe a spiritual interpretation of that same passage. So, like, for example, there's a place where um, it says in Malachi that out of Egypt I called my son. Now, that speaks of the people of Israel, and then Jesus takes that and he applies that also to himself. And he says, God, in the same way that he called Israel out of Egypt, he also called Jesus out of Egypt. But in another interpretation of that would be to say, well, he has called us as his children, as his sons and daughters, he has called us out of the world, which Egypt is a type of the world. So you see how I'm saying that there can be layers of interpretation and meaning but we, okay. we never want to disregard the historical, you know, simple explanation. And so all that comes to play in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches in this way, that these are seven literal churches that existed at the time when John wrote this letter. So he's writing not just allegorically, he is actually writing two literal churches. Okay, so that's the first part. Um, okay. Now, on the other hand, some people have looked at this and they've seen kind of a historical view of the Christian church as a whole throughout the ages. 
Okay, so as you go through like Ephesus, some of these issues that are being talked about to the church in Ephesus apply to the Christian church in the early days of the church. And so some people okay. have seen in this a progression in which God is making applications which applied to different ages throughout church history. So those would be the two basic ways that I would say that this is um, applied, and I think faithfully. Sometimes, you know, what we can do if we're not careful uh, is that sometimes you can kind of, um, rather than just bringing out the meaning of the text, you can kind of impose something on the text and say, well, this must apply to, you know, this or that. Now, I would say that anytime we read this, these churches, which were literal churches and, and perhaps even ages in church history and that have some application here, there are going to be application in probably each of these and to our day to day. And maybe in one of these, you know, as we read them, it might apply to where our individual local churches might be at in the moment as well. Does that make sense? It does, because the question comes up as far as I have a family member that says believes that the Bible says that we are mid-trib, where I'm saying no, we're pre-trib. And okay. it was explaining about after the churches are mentioned, the churches are no longer mentioned in Revelation, which means that we've been... Um, raptured. Oh, okay. Her yeah, argument right. was that that is a completely different meaning. Yeah, so I would say that, here's, here's another thing that I would say is part of your discussion. It's called hermeneutics. Okay, hermeneutic, just think of it in, is this way. It's the lens through which you read the Bible. And there's this thing which we call the hermeneutic spiral. And what that means is that we read the Bible and the Bible gives mm -hmm. us our hermeneutic, right, our interpretive lens, and then sure. our interpretive lens is the lens through which we read the Bible. So it kind of goes in a circle, but it's not just a pure circle. We call it a spiral because it should be going up. As we read the Bible again, it should tweak our hermeneutic, right? Maybe there's something in our hermeneutic that actually doesn't match what the Bible says. So we want to let the Bible determine our lens, but then we read the Bible through that lens. So if you start out by reading the Bible through a, let's say you have a pre-tribulation hermeneutic or lens through which you read the Bible, then absolutely mm -hmm. you would see it in that way. Now the reason she doesn't agree with you is because, of course, she's reading it with a different lens. Um, but I would say, okay, I would say it makes a lot of sense to read this with a pre-tribulation lens. And the reason is because of a verse in chapter 1 which says this, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, view chapter 1, verse 19 as a outline for what the rest of the book of Revelation is going to be. Okay, so here's what he says. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Okay, that's the past. The things right. that are, that's the present. And the things which are to pl take place after this. And so um, what that forms is it forms an outline and so you could look at chapter 1 of Revelation as the things which he has seen in the past, which is this vision of Jesus, right? Jesus walking amongst the lampstands and speaking to him. The things right. that are in the present would be the church age, so to say. And so like when I mentioned that you could read these as different periods, you know, re relating to different periods throughout church history, that would be a way also which would fit into that 
understanding, which would say this is the things that are, which would be where we are right now. We are currently living in the church age. And then I think the thing that makes this understanding so compelling to me and, and why I believe it is because then he says, and the things which are to take place after these things or after this. And in Greek, the word that's used there is the word meta tauta, which means after these things. Okay, so here's what's so compelling is that chapter 4 begins with these words, after this, or in Greek, meta tauta. In other words, it seems that he really is following an outline. The things that were, that's the vision of Jesus. The things that are, that's the age of the church right now that we're in. And then the things which will happen after this, meaning the age of the church. And here's what he says, behold, a door standing open in heaven. And I heard a voice and a trumpet. Now that reminds us of First Thessalonians chapter 4 where he talks about the sound of a trumpet and us being caught up to Jesus. And he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Again, the Greek word meta tauta. So it seems that what he, he's now shifting from chapter 4 on to speaking about things which are in the future, which have not yet taken place and which don't take place until after the end of the so-called church age. So, that to say, what happens is John essentially gets caught up to heaven in Revelation chapter 4, and from heaven, with a bunch of saints, you know, believers, he is watching the events of the tribulation on earth. So, anyway, okay. I, I would agree with you, Michelle, in that, but um, I think that we cannot dismiss the fact that these were actual churches that existed at an actual time. Okay. Thank you for answering my question. Yeah, absolutely. God bless you. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Let's go to our next caller. Danny in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Danny. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. Uh, thank you. Um, so I have a question. Uh, my wife and I... Still there? Hello? I'm still here. Yep, I'm oh, still here. Sorry. My wife and I are trying to figure out how we can best um, reach out to the people around us in our neighborhood, uh, where we live, and things like that, and uh, just looking for a good resource on practicalities, um, you know, practical ways that we can serve and uh, get the opportunity to share the gospel, and maybe also what that progression looks like, uh, yeah. how to get to that point. Yeah, great question. So here's, here's what I would uh, tell you. Two resources that immediately come to mind. Number one would be the Gospel Comes with a House Key. This is a book um, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I read it earlier this year, and we actually bought a bunch of copies of this and made them available to our church with a, at a discount. Um, and we encourage everyone in our church to read the book. It is by Rosaria Butterfield. And in the book, um, Rosaria kind of shares her story, two things she shares stories about. One is how she shares her story about how she came to Christ out of a, you know, very committed lesbian lifestyle. She was a professor at the University of Syracuse. She was living, you know, in the in the university district, um, 
there and she's living in kind of a communal situation with other lesbian women. And she ended up coming to Christ um, because of the hospitality of one of her neighbors who happened to be the pastor of a small church. And he, she said that, you know, just their warmth and love really opened her up to thinking about their ideas in a way that she hadn't uh, ever considered them before. And long story short, she ends up becoming a Christian. She ends up getting married. And what she was convicted about as she was a Christian was that there were a lot of things that people did in the lesbian and gay communities, which, um, which were w things that, you know, Christians could actually learn from. Now, it isn't to say that, uh, you know, that we should all join that lifestyle. Not at all. I mean, she's very much not in that lifestyle and rejecting that lifestyle. But what she's saying is that there were rhythms to their community. There's ways that they reached out to people and took care of each other that Christians um, should be doing. I mean, it's basically what we're told to do uh, in the scriptures about how to love each other and about what that community looks like and not just how to love each other within the church, but how to reach out from the church um, to our neighbors. So the gospel comes with a house key. You know, one of the things she really suggests in there is that she talks about having people into your home all the time in your neighborhood and start creating a community of that. One of the things she's really into is this app, Nextdoor. She uses the Nextdoor oh, app yeah. a lot. And I found that, you know, I started using it after I read the book. And, yeah, you find out about all kinds of needs in your community and ways to have conversations with your neighbors. So I think that's a really good idea. The other book I would tell you about is called The Art of Neighboring. And um, The yeah. Art of Neighboring, it's, it's also a good book on a very similar subject about, you know, how to reach out to your neighbors and build those bridges through which you'll be able to share the gospel. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, have a good one. Thank you so much. You too. Bye -bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you and hopefully answer your questions. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Christopher in Fountain, Colorado. Hi, Christopher. Welcome Hello, to the program. Pastor. Hello, Pastor. Um, first off, I want to say God bless you, and I love you, brother, and, and your, your, um, your, your, your love for Christ is, is awesome, and I appreciate your radio station. But I have a question, sir. I've been a, a Christian my whole life. This last five years, I've been on fire for Christ, and I've been blessed by the Spirit. Um, and the Spirit's revealing to me that um, the cross, um, is an idol. I, I, I just, it's a question of mine now, um, because um, um, there's the, the scripture that even says that um, that the Messiah was hung on a tree. Some say a stake, and then some say a cross. Um, re, uh, nevertheless, um, all three pieces of tree or wood or stake or cross is a symbol of, of uh, his um, they killed him with the cross. Of course, they beat him and, and that kind of thing, of course, but the cross killed him. So is the cross, like, see, like they had guns in those days, and they shot the Messiah. Would we hang a gun on the wall, on our neck, on the church? If, if, they, if they drug him with a horse, would we drag, would we 
when we when we have a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm kind of um, I, I, I'm I, I'm praying about it, and um, and I, I'm I'm the spirits revealing to me that it's just another idol uh, that we're using it as an idol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on on topic of idols, you know, I, I I actually think that the cross is an excellent symbol, and I think that as a symbol, it actually does the opposite of what an idol does. And let me explain to you why that is, first of all. Um, but to answer your question, was Jesus hung on a cross, on a tree, on a stake? Uh, the tree, really speaking of wood, right? A cross is made out of wood, which comes from a tree. I mean, this is clearly just a, a you know, turn of words, so to say. This is a way of uh, speaking about the cross, in, you know, by admitting that it was a tree. But here's also why it's important, because there is a verse in the Old Testament which is referenced in Galatians, where it says that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And that's really important because it points out, so when it talks about Jesus being hung on a tree or crucified on a tree, it is making reference to that Old Testament um, law, which says, or not even law, it's just a statement that says that whoever is hung on a tree is cursed. And the point there is this, that Jesus took our curse, the curse of sin and death, upon himself in order to free us from it. And that is a glorious truth. And so therefore you have this reference to the cross showing that the cross wasn't just, you know, again, why wasn't he killed with a gun? Why wasn't he dragged behind a horse? Why wasn't he killed in some other way? Well, because it was orchestrated by God to fulfill this prophecy showing that Jesus was not just dying for us. He was taking our curse uh, upon himself. You know, another really interesting thing to think about is this. Why did Jesus wear a crown of thorns? Was it just the soldiers mocking him and that's all? I actually think it was more than that because if you read in Genesis chapter 3 when sin comes into the world, all of creation is cursed and one of the signs of the curse is that thorns and thistles begin to grow out of the ground. In other words, plants and even nature, you know, become um, you know, inflict pain and these kinds of things. And so, so check this out. Essentially, this picture of the curse, the, the thorns are a picture of the curse. They're a representation and a result of the curse. And those are placed upon Jesus' head. Now think about how incredibly symbolic this is. We have the symbol of the curse being placed upon Jesus as a symbol of of the fact that Jesus took our curse upon himself upon the cross. The cross itself being made out of wood is a fulfillment of that statement that anyone who's hung upon a tree is cursed. Jesus became cursed for us so that we who were cursed could become blessed. That is the message of the gospel. It is the good news, and we should celebrate that. Now, can it become an idol? That's a very good question. Now, I want you to think about this. An idol in the Old Testament was something that represented something else. In other words, these idols weren't just symbols, right? The problem wasn't that you had a picture that you looked at or a little statue that you would put on your table. The problem was that that statue represented something that people worship, right? So you had a god of, um, you know, look at the Greek and Roman gods. You know, you had a god that represented everything. You had a god for sensuality, right? That why? Because people actually worship sensuality. You had a god of money and success. Why? Because people worship money and success. Um, you had a god for power because, again, people worship power. Do people still worship power even though we don't put, um, you know, little statues on our desks? 
of those things nowadays. Absolutely, people worship power, money, sex, success, all of these things. In other words, all of those symbols represented things that people worship. Now, does the cross represent something that we worship? Absolutely, it does. It, it represents the Savior whom we worship. So therefore, is it a just symbol that we should absolutely use and embrace? I think the answer is yes. And we should embrace it all the more considering the fact that it represents the one whom we worship above all other things. So I hope that answers your question. I'm going to have to let you go. I think we covered that pretty thoroughly. God bless you, Christopher, and thanks for calling in. Hey, we are going to be back in two minutes' time. This is Calvary Live. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 303-690-3000, and we'll be back right after this break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you'd like to receive prayer for. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to our next caller. That is Pastor Kevin Perry in Philadelphia. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Doing Good great. Good evening, Pastor. I right, listen. I was calling in. I heard one of your broadcasts, and the gentleman was calling in saying that he was ministering to a young woman about the book of Job, chapter mm-hmm. 2, and was wondering, um, you know, how he would answer the question of why God allowed Job to go through everything that he went through when he said, have you considered my servant Job? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that the answer to that is really found in chapter 3. I know a lot of people question that, and they wonder why why did God allow that, or why was Job, you know, made to go through so much? Sure. Being a man of, of faith and power, being a, a righteous man. But if you read chapter 3, it gives us a little more insight. Mm-hmm. And although Job was righteous, Job still operated in fear. Hmm. When you read chapter 3, it says, The thing that I feared the most and what I have dreaded has come upon me. Hmm. And it's incumbent upon us as believers to understand we cannot allow ourselves to operate in fear. Even though Job was praying for his children on a daily basis, he was praying fear-based prayers, just Mm -hmm. in case they were doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm praying because they might be doing something wrong right now. So if they are, you know, and, and because of that, I think that was one of the reasons why God allowed him to go through everything that he went through. And then you guys also brought up James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, because that's a a word for us today. Even though, you know, Psalms 34, 19 says many are the afflictions of the righteous, even though we know we'll be afflicted, even though we know we're going to go through various trials and tribulations, we can't operate day to day in fear. We, we must always remain in faith. Yeah, no, that's a good word. I, um, 
I've been studying First Peter in our church here in Longmont, and just yesterday we went through First Peter chapter four, where he says, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you. And then he goes on to this whole thing to say this, that just as Jesus's trials affected, you know, a glorious outcome in Christ, God will use our trials to affect a glorious outcome as well as we put them in his hands. But then in chapter five, which I'm going to be studying this coming Sunday, there's this whole part where he talks about, you know, the devils prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if you look at that chapter, he essentially breaks it into three ways in which the devil tempts us or tests us or tries to destroy us, right? But a lot of his destro his um, things that he does, it says that he he growls or roars. You know, that's all a lion can do, essentially the devil, right? He's been, uh, he can roar, but his fangs have been removed. His claws have been removed. And so what, here's what he does is the first thing he does is he tries to get us with pride, right? So Peter talks about that, how pride... Um, is a way that the enemy tries to get us puffed up to take us down. The second way, though, is that he talks about fear, like you're saying, and anxiety. And he talks about how instead of being anxious, we need to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us, even our greatest fears. So anyway, I thought that's an interesting tie-in, especially to Peter, with Peter, who's writing to people who are suffering at the moment. So, hey, thank you for that yeah, word. Pastor Kevin, and we pray God blesses you and your ministry there in Philadelphia. Thank you. Thank you All for right. allowing me to speak. Absolutely. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller. Who is, hang on one second, who is Chris Hello. in Colorado Springs? Hi, Chris. Welcome to the program. I was um, wanting to ask you about uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen. 15. Um, uh, I believe it says something about uh, uh, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I, my life has, like, I feel like that's, I don't, I just feel like that's exactly what I've been going through. And that it's interesting that it's compared to, like, a root, as though you pull the weed, but you don't get the root out, and it comes back, and then you, you pull the weed, and then you don't get the whole root out, and it comes back, and... I uh, I just don't really completely understand. I mean, I under I know that you know maybe the core problem is pride or, uh, but I I guess I I don't really understand how to like totally repent of bitterness. I mean, a lot a lot of people go through like heavy stuff, and um, I just know that there's been a lot of bitterness in my life. And I don't really, I don't really know how to, how to repent of it. Yeah, I, I think it begins in this way. You know, repentance is, a, is not just, you know, the right words to say as much as it is a direction that you take. And so it means to change directions. It means to, you're going one way and you spin around 180 degrees and you go the other way. 
And so what that looks like in practice, I think, is a lot easier. You know what I mean? I think that it would be easier for you to think in terms of what does it mean to not walk in bitterness as opposed to how do I, like, mentally just, like, make myself stop being bitter? I think that's a lot harder to do, right? It's like one of those things where if I tell a person who's scared, hey, don't be scared, that doesn't actually make them not scared, right? Like I need to give them something else to think about or a reason to not be scared, something greater than their fear. And I think that that, that would be my advice to you as well is don't focus on like, okay, how can I stop being bitter, right? Just like trying to mentally force yourself now, do it now. Um, I think the idea instead is repenting of bitterness looks like this. When you feel that root of bitterness or you feel bitterness welling up within you or taking hold in your in your heart and affecting your actions or, or taking over in your mind, what you're going to do is you're going to say, no, I'm not going to let this have its way because I know that this is wrong. Even though it feels so natural, it feels so comfortable to let bitterness reign in this moment. Instead, I'm going to walk a different direction. I'm going to turn 180 degrees and do the opposite of that feeling of bitterness and what it makes me naturally want to do. And so that, whatever that means, what it means, um, choosing to remind yourself that Jesus has already died for that person's sin and you therefore are free to forgive them and Jesus will deal with them. He will be the ultimate judge over the living and the dead. So furthermore, um, it means, you know, not letting the actions that would come out of bitterness be your actions. Instead, choosing to do something else. And again, we say, well, that's hard, isn't it? Yes, it is. Where do we get the power to do it? We get it from Jesus in us, his power in us by his resurrected life within us. Does that help at all? It does. I, it just seems like sometimes when you, you've gone through a lot of heavy stuff, um, and even if God is like, God has totally seen me through a lot of really heavy stuff, uh, and just going through like religion and all this other, and, and divorces and just consequences of my own sin. And, uh, and it just, sometimes it just feels like I'm not, I don't really have like patience and love in my heart like I should. And I'm wondering about the first part of the verse that says, you know, I know it's a King James or whatever, but it says, lest any man fail or fail of the grace of God. Like, how is that one verse? Like, that's the first part of the verse. And then it's like, uh, it seems like, yeah, how, how does that tie into the second part is what you mean? You mean, is there a connection between having a root of bitterness and failing to obtain the grace of God? I think that there could be a, a great tie-in there, a clear tie-in, because here's what Jesus said. He said, hey, look, if you don't forgive those who for, who have sinned against you, then how can you expect God to forgive you for the little things that you've done against him? You see, um, I'm so, so, I'm sorry, I made that wrong. I said that wrong. What I mean is this. If you, forgive, if you f refuse to forgive other people who sin against you in small things, how can you expect God to forgive you in those big things? It's that whole parable that Jesus tells of the man who's forgiven a humongous debt and then gets out of debtor's prison only to you know, find the guy who owes him $15 and, and put that guy in debtor's prison for the small debt that he owes him. And the idea here is this, um, 
how would you fail to obtain the grace of God? Well, one way is by refusing to forgive others who have sinned against you. And that's tied in there to that idea of a root of bitterness that springs up. And here's what's interesting. Not only does it cause trouble, but it can defile many. See, by it, many become defiled. And so what that means is that when you're bitter, oftentimes you're not the only one who's affected by it. Oftentimes other people around you are poisoned by it as well. So how do we move on past that? I think it's that we make a conscious choice to forgive someone. Now, again, making these decisions doesn't necessarily take away the feelings. I think that's something that a lot of people get hung up on. They say, well, I don't feel forgiven, or I don't feel that God loves me, or I don't feel that I have forgiven this person. And here's what I would tell you is that the way that this works is that you can't always choose the way that you feel, but you can choose the way that you act, and you can choose the way that you think. In other words, if you change the way that you think and the way that you act, oftentimes the feelings will follow. But even if they don't, we're walking by faith, not by sight. And that sight includes feelings, right? So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Change the way you think, which it sounds to me like you're, you're there, Chris. It sounds like you want to forgive. You want to let go of bitterness. And I commend you for that. I think you're on the right track. The, the next part is, again, the actions, the things that you have control over. You may not have control over the way that you feel, um, but you can change the way that you think and you can change the way that you act. And so I would encourage you to do those things and let God do, bring the feelings uh, when they come. So would you call, like, just, like, even if it feels like you're just angry and just, like, pessimistic, are those just feelings or those thoughts? Oh, definitely a pessimism might be a feeling, but what you do with those feelings can, can absolutely, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like this. Martin Luther always used to say, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. So think about it like this. The, the birds flying over your head, you may not be able to stop those negative thoughts that, you know, seem to attack you and jump on you you know that i believe that's from the enemy that's spiritual warfare but you can stop those things from making a nest in your hair right like you can you can choose to not um entertain those ideas and go down that path mentally and and have those thoughts and you know continually think on those things that's why we see like the psalmist right he'll have these thoughts these negative thoughts and then he'll speak to his own soul he'll say Soul, why are you cast down upon within me? Remember the Lord's benefits, how he's forgiven your sins, how he heals your diseases, how he does these things. He's speaking to himself. He's speaking to his own soul and his own mind and correcting himself. And I think that that's what we got to do. So, again, you may not be able to stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. Does that make sense? So you may have an angry yeah. feeling, angry thought, but you don't have to live in that place. You can correct that thought with the Word of God. That's a good word. Yeah, it just uh, just seems like sometimes in, when you go through your Christian walk, like sometimes the growing pains and the, the cuts and the scratches along the way, they uh, just sometimes it makes, it just seems like some you just go through seasons that are really hard and it's just yeah. hard to have a good attitude and 
Yeah, and so that's why, Chris, I would also encourage you to get in a good fellowship of believers, you know. Get in a good church get and get plugged in. Don't just attend on Sundays, you know. Get plugged in so people can know you and you can know them. You have people praying for you and speaking positive words, the words of life into your life. Um, that's really going to help a lot. So let me pray for you, Chris, and then I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Chris. I thank you for his heart that he doesn't want to live in that place of anger. He doesn't want to live in bitterness. Um, that's such a huge, important step in the right direction. Lord, I pray you'd help him in those moments, um, as we talked about, that you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. And I pray that he, when he has those thoughts of anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, Lord, that he would sense those things, and by your Spirit's leading and empowering, he would be able to combat those things with the word of truth, your word of truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris, God bless you. you. All right, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We have all open lines right now and about 14 minutes left in the show. So if you have been waiting to call in and you have a question about the Bible or a prayer request, now would be a great time to give us a call. We've got several text messages that we'll look at uh, in the meantime, but the number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go over to the text line real quick and take in some of these text questions. Alan asks the question, what are idle words, and does this apply to believers? So, uh, I assume what you're asking, Alan, is related to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, where, the, where Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every idle word that they speak. So what does that mean? That's Matthew chapter 12, that's Jesus speaking. What are idle words? Well, first of all, we know from the Proverbs that words are very powerful, you know, Solomon said in Proverbs 18 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, James talks about how the tongue is a small thing, but it has the power to set, uh, you know, wars in, into motion and to light forests on fire. It, it can do great damage, but it can also bring about great amounts of life and, and encouragement. So our tongues are very important. How we use them is very important. And so Jesus says, you know, everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And what does that mean? Well, it means a careless word would be like a word which um, is unprofitable, right? In other words, Jesus is talking in that section about good things which come out of our hearts and evil things which come out of our hearts. In the same way, he's saying basically our words reflect what is in our hearts. And then he says this, you know, use your words carefully, use them wisely, because as you do that, um, you know, you, you have the power to affect things in a great way. So use them wisely. And what he says is that everybody will be, um, have to give an account for the way that they use their words. Now, what I think you're asking, though, Alan, is this. Will believers be judged? Will they be judged um, in the same way that unbelievers will be judged? The answer is this. Believers will be judged, but they will not be judged in the same way that unbelievers are judged. We read about two judgment seats and basically two lines, right? So it says that at the judgment, the 
dead will be raised. We will all stand before God. But there are two lines that people are put in, right? It says he separates the sheep from the goats, the sheep being God's people who belong to him, who are part of his flock, and the goats being those who do not. And so the sheep and the goats will face two different judgment seats. The judgment seat for those who are not in Christ and who have not uh, died in faith, those people will be before the great white throne of judgment. And so they will give an account and they will be judged according to what they did with Jesus. Um, and they will be judged to condemnation. Now, on the other hand, though, believers, Jesus has already taken the judgment, the punishment, the curse for our sins on the cross. He's removed that from us. So then why are we going to be judged? Our judgment is not going to be one for punishment or judgment. Our, ju our, our judgment is going to be one for reward. What's interesting, I, you know, I was listening to this station right before this show began, and Pastor Jeff Figgs was talking about this very thing. Um, from Revelation and from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it's also talked about. And, of course, uh, where it talks about the Bema seat of judgment. And so the idea here is this. Think about that there are also, there are judges in a courtroom trial, you know, where, where somebody's sentenced for a crime they committed. But there are also judges in the Olympics and in other sporting events. And when you compete in the Olympics and the judges judge you, when they judge you, they're not judging you to send you to jail or to prison or to a life sentence. They are judging you for a reward. And that's the idea that those of us who are in Christ, our judgment has been taken away. That would be judgment to condemnation or punishment, etc. What remains for us is a judgment unto reward. And so what that means is that our actions that we've done for God, the way that we've lived our life, we're going to give an account before him and He's going to ask us, what did you do with the resources I gave you, the money, the time, the talents? What did you do with the things that I gave you to use for my purposes? Stewardship, like we talked about with our very first caller today. And we get the opportunity, and this is not something that should fill us with fear. This should fill us with excitement and anticipation. Man, I get to use the things that God has given me now so that on that day I'll be able to say, hey, here's what I did with what you gave me. And so I want to use my words. Jesus is essentially saying, this is a resource I've given you, is time, words, thoughts, and what you do with your words. You can use them in a way that tears down or builds up. You can use them in a way that furthers my mission or that doesn't further my mission. And I want to be the one, as Jesus is alluding to here, who on that day, when I stand before God and he says, what did you do with your words? I want to be one who used my tongue for his glory and for his mission and for the betterment of other people again, unto his mission and his glory. Hope that uh, answers your question, Alan. God bless you. Great question. Let's go to our next caller, Daniel in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the program. Daniel, are you there? Okay. Let's uh, go to another text question. It sounds like we lost Daniel. Um, but he has a question about the sons of God, who they were, and if they're still around. Great question. Um, let's talk about that one right now. I was just looking at some text questions to see if we had a good one in there, but let's talk about Daniel's question. Who are the sons of God? Okay, throughout the Bible, this term sons of God is used to refer to angels. Um, but there is an instance in Genesis chapter 6, and this is something I just taught on really recently. There's a, I wouldn't say controversy about this question. It's more like 
kind of different opinions. It's really what it falls in the category of what we call a secondary issue, which means it's it's not a primary issue. It's not an issue that relates to salvation or being a Christian per se. It's really we're not really sure what this uh, these verses are talking about, and so several Christians throughout the years have given their best attempt at trying to figure it out in regard to other verses in the Bible. It comes in Genesis chapter 6, and it says this, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives as they chose. Okay, so what is that talking about? Some people believe that what this is talking about is that... Uh, angels, and this would be in this case fallen angels because sons of God is used in the Bible and other places to speak about fallen angels, um, or to speak about angels, I'm sorry, but what they do leads us to believe that they were fallen angels. So they, they have sexual relations with human women and they create, some be people believe, this kind of strange race of people who are called Nephilim, because it says later on in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. There's a couple ways of looking at this. One, one is the simple reading which I just told you, which believes that the Nephilim were essentially the offspring of demons procreating with human women. It's possible, and what Peter talks about in First Peter chapter uh, three, where he talks about uh, Jesus preaching a message not of salvation but of condemnation to those who disobeyed in the time of Noah, some people believe that this speaks of uh, demonic spirits who were held captive because during this time, around the time when Noah was around, Genesis six, they came and they did this procreative activity with human women and therefore God imprisoned them for a time and Jesus spoke to them um, at that time when they were being held in prison probably between his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave a message of condemnation announcing to them what he had accomplished let me just give you a few other options with this and w ways people have understood it uh, what I think is really funny is I read a commentary from Martin Luther on this topic and Martin Luther said well, this is a very strange, um, you know, very difficult to understand text. And he called it the most wonderful, obscure text in the Bible. And he said, I have no idea what it means. And then he just moves on, which I thought was hilarious, right? Here's Martin Luther, this, uh, you know, famed theologian, this great reformer. And he comes around and says, yeah, no idea. It's just hard pass. I'm just going to move on to the next thing. So Martin Luther didn't even try to answer it. But another way that people have looked at this is that the sons of God might be a reference to the godly line of, um, of what is his name, Seth, the godly line of Seth, which is mentioned at the end of Genesis 4 as the group of people who called in to, um, or sorry, the group of people who um, called upon the name of the Lord. And then... Um, the daughters of men, essentially an allusion to the fact that believing men intermarried with unbelieving women. And that would make sense because even in the Psalms, uh, we are referred to as sons of God, not as angels, nor um, the son of God like Jesus, which was a kingly title, but the sons of God in the sense that we're created by God or that we belong to God as believers. So a lot of different options here. I think that... Um, I think that most commentators lean towards the one that says the Nephilim were some sort of 
um, demonic line. Let's go over to this next call. We've got last call for the day, Tim in Longmont. Let's take this one. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. We've got three minutes, just a heads up. So All right. Let's see what your question is. So my question is, um, why are we taught this heliocentric version, um, like depicting that the sun is at the center of the universe, and it's force-fed down our throats, and but if it, the Bible is the Word of God, and it clearly states in the beginning He created the firmament to protect us from the waters above and the waters below, correct? Yes, Tim, it sounds like you're taking the, the Genesis chapter 1 as, um, you know, a kind of scientific view of Genesis chapter 1 that says that therefore the earth is really at the center of the universe and not the sun because the earth was created before the sun. Is that what you're saying? But Well, here's what I'm saying is science makes God unnecessary. Scientism is a religion, a belief system. It's an agenda to put doubt in the people's hearts that there is no God. So, Tim, I would disagree with you in this. Well, I don't. I actually don't disagree with what you just said. I think that science can become, in, in a way, there can be a scientism, I think that's a good phrase, that in a sense says that, you know, we don't need God because science explains everything. The fact is, though, that the scientists who I know, we have several in my church who I've talked to extensively about this topic, and they would say that the more you look at science, the more you realize that as the Bible says, these things bear witness to God and they show His glory. They show the fact that we don't have all the answers. Not even by studying the earth can we figure out these things. And it bears witness to the fact that there is a God. And so, Tim, thanks for your call. And may God be glorified through the study of nature and science. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out, whitefieldchurch.com. I'll be with you again next You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.